Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the Pentagon's 10-year audit plan is still on track. For those folks that really understand uh, uh, the massive complexity uh, of the department, that's an ambitious goal, 10 years. But uh, I still think it's achievable. The automation payoff for financial management. We've been going through this for years to go through all this manual work. And the technology now just makes things instant. And explaining the blockchain buzz across the federal government. Some people call it, it's a new form of the internet. It's like a new extra layer because it's not its not like a system uh, that, that you would think about, but it's really a, a new network. It's Wednesday, December 1st, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department will build a technology database to track what it buys to avoid redundancy. Heidi Hsu, the Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering, says the database will show which acquisitions are having the most impact. Hsu says right now, innovation cells like AFWorks and the Defense Innovation Unit don't have a way to share information about what they're buying. The Pentagon's looking at establishing a new lead office for its technology efforts. The chief data and artificial intelligence officer would oversee the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center, the Defense Digital Service, and the office of the chief data officer. Two defense officials tell FedScoop the department hasn't made a final decision yet. The Repository for Analytics in Virtualized Environment contract can continue at Immigration and Customs Enforcement. The Government Accountability Office has dispensed with a protest of that contract. Dave Nitschapier of FedScoop.com is writing about it now. Dave, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What is at stake here? What is at hand here that the GAO has decided? Well, basically, this contract covers a a task order that's dealing with data analytics, which is going to be one pillar of this Raven system that uh, ICE is developing. Uh, It's going to supplant their original Raven system, and the system is basically going to be able to help them with criminal investigations and, and taking a bunch of data from different databases and analyzing that uh, and comparing it with their own investigations and intelligence. There's two prongs here. The government accountability partially denied, partially dismissed a protest from the Ambit Group to the award to Booz Allen Hamilton. What was the allegation there and what did the GAO find and about which? Uh, Basically, it all hinged on the Ambit Group uh, was really taking issue with one portion. Uh, There was a chief uh, or a senior data scientist lead position that they didn't feel their candidate had the qualifications for, but they were arguing that those qualifications, uh, the the bar was just too high. They said it was nearly impossible for them to find somebody that met the qualifications that ICE was looking for and also to have top secret security clearance. Uh, But uh, when GAO investigated, they found that ICE's qualifications were reasonable and that uh, they didn't really need to to move the bar or lower the bar for Ambit Group in order for Ambit to achieve this contract. All right, all the details in your story on fedscoop.com. Thanks very much. Thank you. And you can read more about all of these headlines and lots of other stories at fedscoop.com. The National Science Foundation celebrating a show of force. The deputy CFO at the NSF, Michael Wetklow, explains in just a few minutes on today's Daily Scoop podcast. 
The Defense Department's reviewing results of its fourth annual audit. Those results included some progress, but the department still has a long way to go. Mark Easton's former deputy chief financial officer at the Pentagon. Mark, welcome. It's great to talk to you again. What do you look at first, whether it was when you were still in the building or now that you're out? What do you look at first when the audit results come out? Welcome. Well, I look for uh, some key indicators. Material weaknesses, I think, are, are one. And, and, and I was hoping and looking for uh, a couple of our audits that were, uh, that were close uh, to say, you know, do the reports indicate that we're, uh, you know, looking at this as a, as a football game since our Washington football team uh, seems to be winning these days. We can use that analogy. Uh, I, I think that uh, some of our smaller audits are getting into the red, <coughs> excuse me, the red zone. Uh, and so as a result, uh, I think uh, I'm looking for those kinds of indicators when I take a look at the reports. When you say an audit's close, what does that mean and what are the indicators of that, Mark? I, I, think, uh, I, I think when an audit's close, uh, you're, you're getting down to uh, a limited number of key weaknesses uh, that are standing between you uh, in the opinion. But so, and hopefully in this conversation, we'll be able to talk about much more. I mean, for those folks that are not uh, accountants and, and auditors, uh, the opinions, what you're really keying in on, uh, I'd like to talk about some things that I think are broader indicators. Yeah, I'd love to know what those broader indicators are, because we're four years into this process that we thought was going to take 10. And I'm, I'm wondering whether you see those indicators, in addition to existing, trending in the right direction too, Mark. Well, first of all, the the um, uh, the the 10-year rule, uh, excuse me, 10-year guidelines that I think Secretary Norquist uh, during the previous administration uh, highlighted was based on the Department of Homeland Security. Probably uh, the, the most recent and best indicator. Uh, I think that uh, for those folks that really understand uh, uh, the massive complexity uh, of the department, that's an ambitious goal, the 10 years. But uh, I still think it's achievable. Uh, but uh, I think we have set ourselves uh, a, a pretty high bar and I think that we will look for each administration to contribute. As I think back over my 10 years, uh, I can see, you know, contributions with each administration. This is certainly an apolitical kind of an issue, uh, even though it was discussed on the floor of the Senate as they were discussing amendments uh, uh, and the level of defense spending. What are the indicators that you look for as the most important ones to knock out within the next year or two? And what are the ones that fit into that more ambitious, longer term window that you mentioned a moment ago, Mark? I I think that, you know, I guess getting back into the goodness, because I think that this year in general, people ask me, you know, were you surprised that we didn't make more progress this year? I mean, you have to keep in mind that uh, that this was a transition of leadership uh, year when I left the building uh, just about a year ago, I knew that this was going to be a challenging year. COVID continues, transition of leadership, and many things. But uh, but when I look at some of the major things that that are related to the audit, but not specifically focused on the audit, the Marine Corps moving into uh, a new enterprise system, so we have a service sharing of all things, uh, a an ERP, uh, uh, the, uh, the the defense agencies. Uh, an initiative uh, DAI. Uh, so that's a major progress. And so the Marine Corps, that had to be a factor in maybe slowing the Marine Corps' progress. So I would look for them to continue. We held our ground on material weaknesses. The one thing that doesn't really, uh, that I think that you'll see in the audit reports is this year we were able to present what we call a universe of transactions. You and I have talked about that. Basically, you know, accounting for all of our business in a very 
uh, tangible way early on to the audit. The earlier we can do that with uh, with our auditors, the more progress we can make. And so, and so those things are indicators that I think say that we're on the uh, the right track. There's general indicators too. If you have a moment, I can go over a couple of those. Yeah, please. That that I think that the audit, uh, you know, and again, people focus on the opinion, but I think that we're getting a significant amount of business discipline out of this. I mean, it's sort of boring. Uh, but, you know, the business discipline that's associated with being able to record timely, accurately, well-supported transactions and be able to account for that. Cyber is built into that. In other words, protecting our systems. Enterprise visibility of our data. Uh, and inherent in that is both is both material and money, both of which are critical to operations. Advana, who we started Advana to be able to provide that kind of enterprise visibility. And I say enterprise visibility because the audit is really focused on an enterprise. It's not focused on functional communities. And finally, I, I think, and this is something I refer, uh, you know, I know that you've had Bob Hale, one of our former uh, DOD comptrollers on several times. He's, he's written several papers. The most recent paper he wrote was on, was on the E part of PPBE, uh, sort of the execution. In other words, we come together when we do the budget as an enterprise, when we begin to execute uh, it's more difficult to be able to reflect that enterprise uh, picture. And so uh, that will inherently provide improved efficiency. The audit will do that. Those are all indirect, but I think are more general uh, positives that oftentimes get lost uh, when you just focus on the opinion. Were there any wows for you this time around, Mark? Was there anything either positive or negative that you said that was something I didn't expect to see? I think I've mentioned some of the things. Uh, I mean, the fact that the Marine Corps was able to move fully into DAI in one year is somewhat remarkable. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, probably for many people, uh, they don't realize how difficult it is to be able to transition a military service onto one system. But Air Force and Army uh, took many years and Navy have taken many years to do that. So so that and uh, our ability to, to focus on the universe of transactions, I think, are, are really key. Um, and so I think it was a it was a year where we held our ground and we positioned ourselves to be able to uh, uh, to be able to move forward. Going back to football, I, I think that, uh, you know, we thought we were in that we were in a scoring range. Uh, and this year we uh, didn't quite make it, but we didn't lose ground. Uh, you still have a couple of downs left, though, it sounds like, Mark. What will you expect to see? What's reasonable to expect to see in another year's time? to kind of keep on track toward what you called a, an ambitious but achievable 10-year window? I think that, uh, you know, I am uh, anxious to see uh, an opinion or two each year. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I'm hopeful the Marine Corps will, will have a shot this year. Uh, you've got some of the smaller elements of DLA, their general fund, the, their uh, stockpile fund, uh, and then you've got DISA's general fund. Those are three uh, possible examples that you would see those kinds of indicators. And I would like to, to see the cost of supporting the audit come down. Uh, I mean, I say the cost of paying the auditors are, is, is going to be a must-pay bill, using a, a budget term. Uh, but our ability to more efficiently support that audit, and some of that re relates to our ability to be able to support the auditor uh, in organically. And so some of our uh, contractor costs might... Uh, uh, might be realigned to other uh, other kinds of sources. So those are some of the things that I would uh, the, that I would look for. Uh, I think uh, there's there's a couple things that that 
I would want to have for look for for continuous improvement. One is uh, a demonstrated understanding uh, of what it takes to get an opinion. Again, I don't think the opinion is the most important, but it certainly is important to a lot of people. Second thing is a roadmap. Uh, when I left, we had a roadmap established. I heard uh, Lolly Jenkins on, and she refers to that roadmap for the Navy. Each of the services have that kind of roadmap, particularly for the services, because they'll have a longer journey. Uh, and then senior leadership focus using that roadmap. Uh, and I say senior leadership focus. Uh, uh, Mike McCord, uh, um, uh, Kathy Miller uh, are, are two of, you know, I wish we had more of our FM leadership in place yet, but but they, uh, they're the, going to be quarterbacking the effort, but it's an all-hands evolution. So we need to have senior leadership focus beyond the financial management community to really make that work. And remember that just getting the opinion doesn't count. I mean, you have to be able to sustain it. And so when I look at the results this year, you know, even though I didn't, you know, we didn't see some of the you know, additional opinions, we didn't lose ground. Uh, and so I think that that's a positive. We've probably done this so many times that you knew I was going to ask you about sustainability. What do you see here that prevents backsliding and maintains the momentum, Mark? I, I think that I think that senior leadership focus is the key. Uh, I mean, I, the reason and in it, you know, it was a transition year. Um, you know, my successor, uh, Doug Glenn, ended up, uh, you know, with filling in as the acting comptroller for a period of time before uh, Ann McAndrew relieved him and that focus turned to the budget. Uh, Wes Miller in the Army, for example, he was filling in as the FM. So that, you know, when you disperse the focus with the leadership transition, uh, uh, it's a challenge. I mean, that's notwithstanding the many other priorities that the Department of Defense is dealing with uh, and the, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, a lot of the changing things. And so senior leadership focus, um, it's not the only thing, may, probably not the most important thing, but it's certainly something that uh, that has to be a focus uh, with uh, uh, Deputy Secretary Hicks, uh, uh, Mike Donnelly as sort of the senior management uh, uh, official and so forth. So I think those are the things that are uh, very, very important to sustaining the progress. Again, I think we held our ground. We sustained uh, the previous gains. Uh, we've still got a ways to go. Mark Easton, thanks very much. As always, appreciate your insight. It's always, Francis. And I, I just want to compliment you on your new venue. Since retiring I've uh, full-time, I've had a chance to listen to podcasts, and I've added you to my library. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, my friend. Have a great day. You can read more about this year's Defense Department audit in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. A huge list of technology stars is coming to the Security Transformation Summit tomorrow. Speakers from CISA, the Defense Digital Service, NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, and a lot of other federal agencies will be at this virtual event. You can see the agenda and sign up now through a link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The National Science Foundation is celebrating a show of force. The NSF is a winner for a technology innovation it demonstrated recently. Michael Wetklow is the Deputy Chief Financial Officer at the NSF. Michael, welcome. It's great to see you again. What is the Financial Obligation Root Cause Explorer, and why did the Association of Government Accountants like it so much? Welcome. Well, thank you, uh, Francis. First of all, happy holidays. Good to be with you on, on your new show. Um, the force, it's um, really two things, but I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't start out by just saying how grateful we were, are to the AGA and the AGA community, but then also we got some, real, I'm really blessed to work with Jesse Simons and Paul Morris at NSF. They were kind of like the guiding force behind this. 
Um, but basically, what what is it is it's it's two things. Um, you know, in recent years, we've, as you may know, the federal government, we've been faced with um, just enormous influxes of funds, whether it be you know the Recovery Act from years ago, more recently the CARES Act, the Rescue Plan, just the other day the Infrastructure Bill, ongoing budgets. And accountability expectations just continue to, to rise, and, and resources um, don't always rise to you know keep up with it. So we we're turning to technology, and what the the force is is it it's two things. First, um, just some stunning uh, data visualizations to like take our grant portfolio from NSF, fifty thousand grants, and it has these like these tuning knobs, Francis, that you can just tune into like where you know the financial uh, risk spots are to either help someone out or um, provide um, additional oversight uh, but then it also has this um, really cool feature that we've um, uh, it's more prevalent on our program side it's this tool called um, the lingo uh, 4g explorer and it's basically you know being an accountant we're used to text and number or excuse me numbers um, but the that we have this artificial intelligence tool where it takes the text, text like you know words that are in grant proposals, grant progress reports, turns the text into numbers based on these algorithm uh, dictionaries, and then just you know clusters all the information to really pinpoint you know topics of uh, of risk and areas of of help needed uh, with the university. And the thing that's novel about this is we've been going through this for years to go through all this manual work and the technology now just makes things instant, um, just in seconds. Um, it's real time and it's just amazing to be able to sift through all this so you can spend more time having valuable conversations rather than, you know, a lot of um, not, not so valuable, valuable compliance work. Take me back to the beginning of the development of this tool, Michael. What was the problem that you were originally trying to solve? And did you solve that or did, did you just solve that? Or did you go beyond that with capabilities that maybe you didn't envision when you started this process? Well, we've been, uh, for a number of years, we've been, um, you know, the, the financial management com community, we've been dealing with um, just a lot of compliance burdens and, and trying to, make our work uh, more valuable and, and more, you know, uh, in line and supportive of our agency, um, awesome missions that we have in, in agencies. So we've, we started out and we, we've been on your old show before about um, robotic processing automation. So we've been, you know, the problem we've been trying to solve to get to your point is really just understanding these, these new technologies that are out there. So there's like robotic processing automation to help with manual work. Um, now there's, um, uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning to help with uh, decision support. Um, you know, we've been exploring blockchain. So that it's it's not been so much a the, the problem. The root cause is um, just the, a lot of manual work, and we've been really exploring this technology just to see how it will make our work. Um, more valuable and you know so we can contribute more to our agency missions so uh, material for that i got from uh, your team says force uses a fully operational artificial intelligence and machine learning technology stack of data aggregation mm -hmm. visualization natural language processing and text analytics and mm -hmm. dashboard platforms there's a mm -hmm. lot of moving parts there how mm -hmm. do you understand as you're building this as you're thinking about it 
um, what solutions are the right solutions for the right challenges that you came across? Well, it's, um, as I mentioned before, it's really experimental. So we've, um, and, and the whole thing about the force is we've, we've had all these, like you just mentioned, we had all these different pieces of things and just connecting the dots, Francis, on them. Like we had um, data visualization was a, a big effort uh, in, in the financial management community. Um, so we have uh, some Tableau dashboards that, that we've been working to, you know, present uh, information to Congress about, you know, how we've been, you know, spending money. We work with like our public affairs folks. But then what, what's new about this is just, can, can, you know, having more conversations with the program side of the house. I mean, you have management and program operations uh, and, and government. Um, and that's where we connected with our heavy, the fellow I mentioned earlier, uh, Paul Morris with our uh, NSF director's office on the program side. We, we basically, NSF funds um, these innovations with universities and to explore science and technology developments. And we started asking, how do we apply this to our work? So it's really, um, it's not like we um, built a lot of new things, but really connected the dots, all these you know different pieces. And it's, it's just starting to come together for us uh, more and more uh, every day. It's just building, you know, we started out with robots, Tableau, and it's just really accumulating now to a really neat place. You mentioned uh, data visualizations. What's the value that you and your colleagues gain from having a visualization as opposed to having it in some other form? It's it's the old saying of uh, a picture's worth a thousand words. Um, you know, accountants, we have, uh, you know, we're good with spreadsheets and general ledgers and you know, sometimes when you take a, you know, a spreadsheet to an executive and you have a hard time articulating it. But, um, you know, I've worked with some leaders where they've really impressed, you know, you know, what's the one, two, three of that picture where you just look at it instantly and you just see 50,000 grants, you know, these, this cluster over here, um, you know, they've spent too much or they spent, um, you know, too slow and you can just instantly hone in on things rather than, you know, just all the, you know, grind that goes along in accounting with developing the reports. And that's a, a change management too, is we've, you know, spent so much time learning how to um, produce all this data, but now it's all about being able to articulate and tell a story about it. Michael, congratulations on the recognition from AGA. You can read more about force in today's show notes at the daily scoop Um, stand by Michael. We'll continue our conversation in a minute. I have more. I want to talk to you about I'm Francis Rose, the host of the daily scoop podcast. The defense information systems agency is managing an explosion in demand for cloud capability at the defense department. Sharon Woods of DISA will tell you how they're handling it on Thursday's show that daily scoop podcast abuse Thursday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. More now with Michael Whiteclaw, the Deputy Chief Financial Officer at the National Science Foundation. Michael, I want to shift gears. You mentioned blockchain as one of the technologies that people are thinking about, talking about, and I'm seeing two schools of thought across mm -hmm. the government enterprise about blockchain. Mm -hmm. One school of thought is that blockchain for government, there's, there's not really much there there. The other mm -hmm. is that there, it's a pretty potentially significant technology and it's a matter of the right applications and 
using it to a particular solution rather than walking around going, how can we stick blockchain on something? Those are kind of the two main schools of thought that I see. What's your view either for the chief financial officers community across government broadly or at NSF individually about blockchain and government? Yeah, I I agree with that, Francis. You know, my experience has been, um, you know, when block blockchain, it's uh, been around for some time. Um, you know, kind of started, um, you know, with um, the housing crisis, and you know, had a little like in the two thousand eight eight ish time period, and you know, things like Bitcoin, Francis, it, it had a little bit of a bad connotation to it, like people selling bitcoins and you know, making money and stuff. So that that really kind of overshadowed the good parts uh, about blockchain. So it, my my view is uh, it's taken some time to kind of you know separate you know we're, we're not I'm not talking about Bitcoin I'm talking about uh, the underlying technology and you know as a public servant I'm not trying to make money or anything but it's you know the the technology can do a lot of good um, to government operations so we've been um, over the last couple of years just exploring it and understanding it and as you say you know trying to find the right use case for it. And we've, uh, working with the Treasury Department, uh, we built um, a tool called a clickable prototype. And I, I can get you the link and, you know, put, you know, for your viewers, if you'd be interested in learning more about it. But you can log on this website and go in and see how it works. So we basically took uh, existing NSF uh, payment processes and kind of said, what, what would this look like uh, in, in a blockchain and built a clickable prototype to show how it would work. Um, and then over the summer, you know, you mentioned the two schools of thoughts. Um, we partnered with industry. Uh, we uh, issued uh, an RFI, um, a request for information to ask industry, you know, what, what their capabilities are, you know, how they've done this and how, how it worked. And uh, we just recently completed that um, back on November 19th. And now we're, we're plotting out our next stage, which is, We've, you know, learned a lot about blockchain, but how do we really put it into production and do, you know, we've played around in sandboxes and experimented, but I think the more we do um, is the more we'll, we'll learn about it and, and you know, kind of, you know, break that, um, you know, that, that into the, you know, the opportunities we have with blockchain. It might be less important as to what you're actually doing then than the fact that you're doing something with it because it doesn't sound like you have the time to be able to mess around and experiment with something that's not going to potentially give you some kind of result down the road well i i think that you know and and i hate to i hate to date myself francis but um you know i i can just remember starting out my career in the 90s where you know i had this leader one time say you know this this internet you know, thing we're, we, it's not, not on my watch or we going to have that. And, and the poor guy re- retired. And then, um, you know, six months later, we all had laptops and emails and boom, you know, yeah. the world, world change with, and, and that's the thing about blockchain is some people call it, it's a new form of the internet. It's like a new extra layer. Cause it's not, it's not like a system uh, that, that you would think about, but it's really a, a new network. Um, that uh, part of, you know, an infrastructure, you know, just like the internet was. And when you have this infrastructure, the value is, um, I mean, there, there's studies, um, Francis, uh, New York University has this one study that the amount of effort that go, goes into financial statement audits 
is going to be reduced by 97%. Um, so it's just work as we know it um, may, may be different. So it, it is very developmental. It's not um, with all these technologies we've been talking about with um, machine learning or robots. Um, I, I think the blockchain is, is the longer pole in the tent, but um, you know, I, I, I don't want to end up like that, that leader I, I worked for when I you know, first started out my career. So I, I do want to experiment with it because the, the, you know, the oppor- in, a, in a responsible way, because the opportunities are just um, too, too significant to, to not um, explore more. If work as we know it changes to that extreme degree, Michael, then that means that the workforce will have to change as well. Last yeah. time you and I talked, um, you told me about an efforts that the Chief Financial Officers Council is undertaking on what the financial management workforce looks like in the government moving forward. Uh, anything new on that front? Oh yeah, we we have um, we have several things. When we when we last uh, met with you, we we had discussed. You know, we were just developing the plan, um, but we we are. I'm so proud to say, working with um, my colleague Steve Coons, Ben Fix, and Evan Farley with the, the CFO Council. Uh, we are in the implementation stage. So we have um, a number of initiatives we're doing. Um, most recently, uh, this fall, we had a CFO Council uh, data literacy boot camp uh, where we took uh, about 40 uh, members of the CFO Council community and um, did some training, some boot camp, boot camp training. Um, to show that, discuss how to establish these data functions in CFO organizations, how to, you know, what's the right way to, um, you know, articulate strategies and and data to more complex things like coding and machine learning, uh, just to introduce the leaders to this. And then as a next phase, we've got um, a couple of interagency agreements uh, partnering with the Veterans Affairs and the Office of Personnel Management uh, to develop uh, these shared service arrangements, Francis, where we were learning about these new learning models, like you might have heard about um, uh, training on demand, where you know you sign up for a course, you get it video. But now it's it's almost like these models are like Netflix. You know how you like subscribe to Netflix or you know whatever the you know Disney Plus or whatever it is. They have things like that for training now, where you can like binge on training and education. Just have more training that, that you can ever have. Um, and then finally, um, what's really significant is help is on the way with uh, the new president's management agenda. The number one goal of the PMA is strengthening the federal workforce. And I was so, so glad to see that because we really need to focus on that because you know, in, in the 90s, technology would have this really long tail to you know, take hold. Now it's coming at us so fast uh, we got to keep up with it, and we got to like continually learn and build our skills um, to to be relevant and and just keep up with the times. From the data literacy boot camp, what did the people who attended it learn, and what did you and your colleagues in the CFO Council learn to kind of push the ball forward? Well, um, I think that my personal takeaways is just how big this world of data is. Um, you know, being an accountant, I thought I knew a lot about data and numbers, but it's just the, you know, the, the coding aspect, the math and statistics aspect. So just think if, you know, if you have a business degree and you took a statistics class, it's like, man, there's a lot of neat stuff 
you know, you can do now with, with the technology to, you know, support what we're all about is, you know, um, turning data into information to support our, our mission. So it's just uh, maybe the, the best takeaway is like, I, I just didn't realize how enormous the world of data is and the opportunities. Um, and then I think, um, you know, the, the second um, thing is we, we're, we're talking about use cases. So when we talked earlier about the force and all these experimental um, things, we're kind of doing that with data. We're saying, okay, we've got all this data now, we've got all these old ways of doing business. You know, what? how, how can we apply like a leveraging data as a strategic asset approach, you know, to our work uh, rather than, you know, enormous manual workload. So it's really like we, we just got all these opportunities to look at the old way of doing business and really taking data to it to support uh, evidence, you know, for, for decisions. So it's really a neat time uh, to be in financial management or any management function. This is not only about, you um, you know, the finance, I mean, the human capital, you know, ha- has these opportunities to procurement, uh, et cetera, working with your IT folks on cybersecurity. It, it's just really great, great time to be in government. Michael Wecklow, Deputy CFO at the National Science Foundation. Thanks for coming on today. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Francis. You can read more about the NSF's work in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The executive director of the Cloud Computing Program Office at DISA, Sharon Woods, is on Thursday's show. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks very much for listening.